If you'd like to follow along with the sermon this morning, there's a bulletin in one of the many inserts in your outline. If you don't see it on one side, check the other side as we talk about opposition today, as we saw with King Ahab and the many possibilities of opposition that the Apostle Paul mentioned. And for what it's worth, just as a warning, I am preaching under the influence of cold medicine this morning, so... That's my opposition. It's minor. But if for 10 seconds I just stop and like stare off into space, just bear with me. I'll be fine. I promise. But we face opposition as believers in this life. And after going through the Gospel of Mark, as we've been doing the past few months, we have seen Jesus' power and authority each successive week with greater clarity. To the point that the passage last week ended with Jesus raising a girl from the dead. When all hope seemed lost, the girl was alive again. And yet this week, we see there's opposition. Who could oppose someone doing such good things? And so this morning, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 6 to see the forces of opposition against Jesus and his mission in this world. So I'll be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 30. In here, there's three separate passages that go together to unify in this theme of opposition and what we face. So beginning in verse 1 of Mark chapter 6. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are, and are not his sisters here with us as well? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that region. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. 
For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful that you have given us your word, and we are thankful for the ways in which the Holy Spirit has opened our hearts and minds to hear your word, but God, I pray that this day you would help us not to be opposed or resistant to your word, but that it might go forth in power and bear fruit that we would be open in our lives to the correction we need to hear, but also encouraged for those times when the gospel will be resisted when we share it. So, Father, bless us this day. Help us to hear the truth of your word. May I speak clearly and truthfully and not wrongly, but may we glorify you in all that we do. Amen. Well, this morning, looking at these passages in the opposition, we see... I want to remind us that though our Christian witness will be opposed in the world, we should persevere knowing that God has made us his messengers. And so first we're going to look at the kind of opposition we faced, and then also why we face that opposition, and then finally ask, is there any hope in the face of that opposition? So really the main point of these passages here is that believers and followers of Jesus will face opposition. We see in verses 7 through 13 that Jesus' disciples are now ready to be sent out without him. And so they go out on these missions two by two. And Jesus empowers them with his authority to go out and preach about the kingdom and power against the evil spirits. Jesus sends them with minimal provisions. And he does so in order for them to rely on God to provide for their needs. But he also does it sending them out with minimal provisions so that they can see the opposition they're going to face. Jesus makes it clear that some people will receive them and give them hospitality, while others will not. That some will not listen. They will oppose the message and the work of the disciples. But what kind of opposition would they face? Where would it come from? 
Well, we don't have debriefs and reports from the apostles when they go out on those missions. They don't give us three chapters of, here's what we did on our little trip. But we do have these passages on either side of this that speak to the kinds of opposition that followers of Jesus can face. The first form of opposition comes from those who know you best. In verses 1 through 6, we read about Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth, and it's probably for the first time since he's become a famous teacher and healer. They welcome Jesus back and allow him to teach in the synagogue, but very quickly they realize, this isn't the Jesus we remember. Something's different. And so they start asking questions like, where'd this fellow learn this stuff? We know his family. He doesn't come from anywhere special. How can he do such great things? Isn't he just a common carpenter? Who does he think he is? Those questions can be summarized with the attitude of, I know who you are. In other words, the people in Nazareth had already placed Jesus in a role that he could not escape. In their minds, he would always be Mary's son, the carpenter. They would not be able to hear him as a teacher or accept that he has the power of God. And by grouping that passage with the disciples being sent out, Mark is leading us to see that what happened to Jesus could very easily happen to a follower of Jesus. Because every believer in Jesus has people that know them well. Whether it's their family, their friends, their co-workers, people from their hometown, or even people from their home church. Perhaps these people who know us well will not want to listen to us when we tell them about Jesus. Maybe it's because we've hurt them before and we've done something wrong and they won't forgive us for it. Maybe it's because they see our sinfulness up close in person every day. They've seen our mistakes. They've seen our outbursts. Maybe it's because they used to change our diapers or they saw what we were like in middle school and they just can't take us seriously. See, those closest to us, like our family and friends, may oppose our Christian witness for many reasons. But notice one reason that it doesn't say. Jesus is not doing anything wrong, and yet he is opposed. Similarly, we may be following God and being faithful to him, and yet we may still face opposition from those who know us best, even if we are doing everything in our power right And the worst part of this opposition is that it is emotionally charged, and it hurts. Verse 6 says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. This was his hometown. This is where he grew up, people he saw every day of his young lives. And so this disconnect, his love for them, yet their opposition towards him, caused deep pain. And it is deep pain that many of us feel as well. And I want to encourage you that Jesus felt that pain. And he encourages us to remain faithful in spite of opposition that hurts because it comes from those closest to us. Well, a second form of opposition we may face is from those in power. The account of John the Baptist's death seems like an odd inclusion here. Why are we talking about that now? But it's bookended by the disciples being sent out on their mission and then when they come back in verse 30. And so there's some connection being made between what the disciples are doing and what John the Baptist had happen to him. 
that just as John faced strong opposition from people in power, followers of Jesus can expect that opposition as well. So we hear about Herod. Now, we have a Christmas tree up, but this is a different Herod from the Christmas stories that was 30-some years earlier, and that Herod's dead and gone. This is Herod Antipas. He is a ruler over Galilee, which was the region that Jesus ministered in. And this Herod decided his brother Philip divorced his wife. Well, she seems pretty nice, and her name's almost exactly mine. Why don't I marry her? Well, that was against Jewish law. And John the Baptist, being one who likes the Jewish law, let him know that that was against the Jewish law. And Herodias, the new wife of Herod, was none too happy about the negative publicity from this prophet. So Herodias used her power to have John thrown in prison and eventually schemed to get him executed. She used her position of power to oppose the message of the kingdom in a very strong way. When we're opposed by family and friends, it may hurt the most, but when we're opposed by the powers of this world, they have the strongest power against us. You see, governments and authorities possess the power of legislation, of public sentiment, of imprisonment, and even in some cases, execution. Yesterday is, was Reformation Day, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Martin Luther did not anticipate the revolution he was going to start in the church. He simply wanted to have a debate about some things he thought weren't so correct, Little did he know that the powers of the world would bring the Pope and his anger down on him, wanting Martin Luther to be burned at the stake. Martin Luther trying to be faithful in his own little town, in his own setting, led to the punishment, led to the anger and opposition of the forces of the world. Yet Luther, during that time, wrote our opening hymn this morning, Proclaiming that God is our mighty fortress who will protect us from all opposition. And so we face this strong opposition in different ways from those who know us best and from the powers of this world. But why do we face this opposition? Why must we face it when it seems like Jesus is so great? Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' authority has been shown again and again that he is powerful. That the winds and the waves are calmed with a word. That people are healed effortlessly by Jesus. That demons, even armies of demons, are cast out like it's no problem. And we saw at the end of chapter 5 that he can even raise a girl from the dead. So how is it possible that any opposition can stand in the way of Jesus if he has that power? Well, it seems that the only thing that can stand in his way is sinful humanity. From the very beginning, men and women have opposed God in his word. From Adam and Eve, through Cain and Abel, through the people in the time of Noah, all throughout history, we have opposed God. We have all sinned. We have all gone astray. And when we are confronted with God's word of correction and rebuke, we resist repentance. And that's what we see in this passage. In Nazareth, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And it doesn't, again, tell us exactly what he taught. But from chapter 1, we know the message that Jesus went out with is repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. He preached repentance in Nazareth, and people didn't listen. They took offense. 
The disciples in verse 12, it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. And Jesus warned them, there will be some places where you got to shake the dust off your feet, for they will not listen. They will not receive you. And finally, we read that John the Baptist told Herod and Herodias that what you are doing is wrong and you must repent. And Herodias was so angry that she wanted John dead and eventually got her wish. In all three cases, we see the message of repentance was resisted. Now, the message of repentance is not a new thing. People rightly compared Jesus to one of the prophets of old. And in the Old Testament reading, we read about Micaiah, one of the prophets of old. And we read that King Ahab hates Micaiah. And why does he hate Micaiah? Well, he always says bad things about me. And he never says good things about me. Why won't he say anything nice that everything I'm doing is perfect and I don't need to change anything? Well, because that's not what God says, King Ahab. So there was a message of repentance, and King Ahab viewed that message as bad news, even though it was good news. And that's not something that we see just in the Old Testament, but throughout Christian history. Martin Luther, in those theses he nailed on the door, the very first thing he wrote on there was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he wanted the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That repentance is a main component of the Christian life. It is a major part of the good news. It tells us that something is bad. In order for the good news to be good, it needs to be correcting a bad situation. And so Ahab had this idea that repentance was bad. And he was wrong. Obviously, no one likes to be told that they are wrong. And even worse, no one likes to be told that they're under the judgment of God. But repentance is a life-saving call to turn from sin and towards the God who can forgive in Christ. So often, we do not hear repentance in that way. Sin deceives us. It encourages us to cling to sin even when it's hurting us. It makes me think of people with addictions of various sorts. That deep down, they know their addiction harms them and it hurts others. And yet they still cling to it. They don't turn from it. Or perhaps we are clinging to sin we need to repent of. And everyone around us, like King Ahab's 400 plus prophets, are saying, you're not wrong, that's totally right. Keep doing that. That's a good thing to do. And we think it feels great and we continue doing it. And so we hear the message of repentance in ways that are not good. See, the call of sin can seem far more alluring than the call to repentance. And we all naturally resist that call to repentance. In our sinfulness, we want to go our own way. That's the nature of sinful humanity, that we're all sinners, every one of us. And so we will face that opposition in our own lives when we are called to repent. And also when we share the good news with others. For repentance is a hard message to hear. But then what hope is there? Is there any hope if we have this message of repentance? Well, this passage, I have to admit, is a bit of a downer. Jesus goes to his hometown, and they hate him. And the disciples have to go out, and they don't really get anything to go on their trip, no GPS or anything. And John the Baptist ends up without a head, and he's dead. And that's really depressing. So is there any evidence of hope that the gospel goes forth and we can have hope in the face of opposition. 
I would say yes. I'd say there's at least three sources of hope, glimmers of hope in this passage. First, the followers of Jesus are sent out with the authority of Jesus. That is no small thing for the disciples, that Jesus entrusts them and empowers them with authority over evil spirits. He gives them the message of the kingdom to preach. They receive their power from him, and only in him do they have that power. See, even if the disciples were going with very little material provisions, Jesus had blessed them with the most important provision, and that was his authority. Likewise, believers today are given the Holy Spirit to empower us as we go out and share the gospel, that we are ambassadors of the King, and we go and proclaim the message of the King, the good news of Jesus. And like an ambassador, we represent the person who sent us, the power and authority of that person. And regardless of whatever opposition we face, we know we are sent by God with this message to bring about his kingdom here on earth. Yes, that message involves repentance from sin, but there is hope, for it is good news. It is repent and believe the good news of the gospel. So that's the first glimmer of hope, that we are given the authority to be sent out. Second, there is evidence in the passage that in all three cases, there was some success. In Nazareth, it says in verse 5 that Jesus laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Even though the majority of people resisted and opposed him, some people were healed. There was some work done. Similarly, the disciples come back from their missions and tell Jesus all they had done. And surely they had to shake that dust off their feet in a few places. But there was some good work done. And even in the depressing situation, the tragic account of John the Baptist we read that Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist. He let him live and didn't execute him right away. He found something about John perplexing and enjoyed listening, that there was a sign of hope even there. I'm reminded of a few weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the sower, that the seed was scattered all throughout the ground, and a lot of it did not grow. But there was some seed that fell on good soil. And that seed had the power to grow 30, 60, and 100 fold. That even when we face opposition, there is always hope that the message will be heard by someone, even if it is only one person. See, the evidence of some who believe the message is enough to give us hope that the mission is worth the opposition. So that's the second glimmer of hope that there is always some success in the mission. Third, and this glimmer is not particularly in this passage, but it is seen throughout Scripture, that when followers of Jesus are persecuted for Jesus' sake, it simply means that we follow the pattern he has laid out for us. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, we read Jesus saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says that we're blessed whenever we're persecuted for his sake. That we should rejoice and be glad when we are opposed. Now that seems a little counterintuitive. Aren't we supposed to be upset when people do not receive the message? Yes. Wouldn't we be saddened when people refuse to repent? Yes. 
But when we are persecuted, when we are opposed, when we are hated for simply sharing the gospel, we identify with Jesus, who though he came to earth and many flocked to him, many resisted him. When we are opposed for obeying God and proclaiming his word, we are like God who sent the prophets out to cry out for repentance and belief, and yet no one listened. And it is truly a blessing, for it gives evidence that we care more for obeying God than for listening to the opinions of others. It is evidence that God has changed us from a rebellious, stubborn sinner to a child of grace. And so as we consider the scripture today in Mark 6, I want us to remember we will face opposition when we live for Jesus and share the gospel. And the opposition may come from many sources. It may come from those we know very well. It may come from friends, from co-workers and family. It may come from those in power like the government leaders or bosses at our work. And this opposition does not arise because you're doing a bad job. It does not arise necessarily because you are wrong, but it arises because of the sinfulness of humanity and our own resistance to repentance. Because turning from sin does not seem enjoyable. It involves admitting you're wrong, changing your habits, accepting blame and guilt, and then living for someone other than yourself. But we do have hope in this opposition. The Apostle Paul writes in our New Testament reading from Romans 8, If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? That when God saves his people, he sends us as his messengers and witnesses to the gospel. That we preach repentance and good news, knowing that we first have repented. We first have found this forgiveness and can share from a place of personal testimony what God has done for us. That power that is within us is strong, and it cannot separate us from God. Paul writes further, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The message of Jesus is going to be opposed. And that's a frightening thing. That opposition is probably going to hurt us at some point in our lives if it already hasn't done so. But we know that God is faithful. We know that the God of the universe knows our resistance, knows our stubbornness, and yet he saved us. And yet he died for us and has changed us. And knowing what he has done inside the lives of us who have been changed, we can proclaim to those who even seem the most resistant the glories of the gospel to repent and believe, knowing God can work wonders in lives of those people who are hardened towards him. So let us not fear anything that can be against us, but let us trust that God has sent us and is with us every step of the way to empower us in this mission. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us when we face opposition. For centuries, your people have been opposed. Your people have been opposed like prophets, like Jesus himself, like the reformers, like so many crying out your truth. 
And yet sinners like us rebel and resist. But God, your saving grace is so amazing and powerful that we know what it has done for us and we know what it can do for others. So may we be witnesses, ambassadors of this message that though we don't have to get up in a pulpit or preach on a street corner that repent the end is near, we can share with those near us and those farther from us the good news of Jesus Christ. God, empower us for that task and may we see the fruit. And if not, let us remember that we are blessed for being opposed for the message of the gospel that great gospel that saves us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.